Welcome to another exciting weekend message from Encounter Church. For more information, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. A box that says Fragile and was a major award. Oh Christmas tree, oh Christmas tree, what will Christmas bring? An orphan and a decoder pin that says drink more Ovaltine? A bowling ball? Soap poisoning? Or what about a rabbit suit? No, not this year. None of these will do. Oh Christmas tree, oh Christmas tree, it shouldn't come as a shock. But you know what I want. The official Red Rider Carbine Action 200 shot range model air rifle with a compass in its stock. This rifle is so coveted that it has even caused fights. Only the bravest of those can own it, those who have proven their might. The feat of strength comes to those who are unaware, typically in the form of a triple dog dare. Oh Christmas tree, the thought of this rifle makes my mind sing so much that I've done some pretty stupid things. I've even left my best friend's tongue frozen to a flagpole and then left when the bell rings. Oh Christmas tree, oh Christmas tree, I'm heading to bed now. Just please, whatever you do, don't say, you'll shoot your eye out. All right. Well, welcome, everyone, to Encounter Church. My name is Jared Lonza. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, this is your first time with us. We want to say welcome to Encounter Church. Uh, we're beginning our brand new Christmas story message series. Uh, it's all about discovering the best gift of all, which we know is Jesus Christ. I uh, hope I didn't give that away in case any of you were wondering what it might be. But um, if you're listening on the podcast as well, we want to welcome you. Thank you for joining us. Today is a special day. We are beginning a brand new series. It is the Christmas season. It is my favorite time of the year. Uh, you know, there are many songs that say it's the most wonderful time of the year. Whether or not you believe that or agree with that or not, I recognize that Christmas can be difficult at times. Um, it can also be a, a, a difficult holiday for some families. Um, but, you know, at Encounter Church this year, we want to we try to look at some of the good things, particularly. I mean, we know Christmas is great because of things like family, things like friends. I mean, presents, those are great things. Food is incredible. Those are all amazing things. But in Encounter, what we really want to do is we want to take time to look inward this month and really explore the real reason that Christmas exists. I mean, I think most of us would know if we'd say, okay, what, the reason for the season is Jesus. Okay, it's Jesus' birthday. We get it. But there's just so much more, so much more than that. So we want to take some time. During this series, we want to explore the elements that really make the Christmas season so powerful. And we're going to be taking some iconic elements from the movie A Christmas Story. If you've ever seen The Christmas Story, I'm actually shocked at how many people have told me they have not seen this film. Uh, it is played 24 hours a day on, on Christmas Day on, I want to say it's TBS, and they play it constantly. It's a classic film. It has some really iconic elements, and we're going to take each week, we're going to take one element from the movie, and then we're going to explore it and unpack it and how that holds truth to us as people in our following Jesus and our faith and ultimately of our need of a Savior. So what we're going to do is we're going to begin our Christmas story journey today with a funny clip from the movie from a very iconic scene. Let's take a look. You're full of beans and so is your old man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Says who? Says me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I double serious. The exact experience. 
change and nuance of phrase in this ritual is very important. <laughs> Are you kidding? Stick my tongue to that stupid pole, that's dumb. That's cause you know it'll stick. You're full of it. Oh yeah? Yeah! Like double dog dare ya! Now it was serious. A double dog dare. What else was left but a triple dare you? And finally, the coup de grace of all dares, the sinister triple really dog dare. I triple dog dare ya! Hmm. Schwartz created a slight breach of etiquette by skipping the triple dare and going right for the throat. All right, all right. Flick, poor Flick. The triple dog dare. It is the thing that apparently holds all children captive. Uh, have you ever found yourself in a situation, maybe not quite as, as problematic as Flick found himself in, but maybe you felt like you had, were pushed into something or your friends all kind of, you know, egged you on to do something and then in the end it backfired on you or you ended up feeling embarrassed well, I had a situation that happened to me not too long ago. It was, um, I was just about to graduate from college, and I was, uh, me and my buddies lived off campus, and, and we had this, this time period where we felt like it would have been, it was really cool to mess with the security guards on our small campus. So what we did was, um, and, and I went to a, a small sort of private Christian college. It's pretty conservative. They, we had a curfew and all these kinds of things. So you weren't allowed on or off campus past, you know, a certain time. Well, we thought it would be fun if, you know, if, if in turns we would take a car, one of our friend's cars, we'd cover up the license plate, and then we would get in the car, and we would drive up to the guard shack. And as the guard comes out, we would run, drive around and kind of go in circles around the, the guard shack and drive all over campus and then bolt off campus. And then they wouldn't be able to, you know, figure anything out. Well, we did that a few times, and then, and then they're like, oh, Jared, you should do that too. And I'm like, uh, okay, maybe. And they're like, no, seriously, come on. Well, you have the Jeep. I had, at the time, I had a, a blue Jeep uh, Cherokee, the kind of the boxy sort of style. And they said, come on, your car can hold all of us. I said, all right, let's do it. Well, so we did. We get on campus. We're running over traffic cones, and I'm driving all over the place. I mean, and the little golf carts are following us around. It was, it was beautiful. It was a fantastic, fantastic scene. I don't, I don't, you know, let, no one should do this, okay? 
Nobody should do this. But we did it. And then, and I drove off campus, you know, and, and they were chasing. It was incredible. I felt like I was in a high speed chase. It was, it was amazing. Well, I finally got back to my house and everything was fine. And me and my friends, oh yeah, we're great. We're fantastic. Man, that was the coolest thing. Huge senior prank, whatever, right? Well, lo and behold, I walk into the next day, I walk into my mailbox, check my mailbox, and what is waiting for me is a hefty fine from our security office. How did that happen, you might ask? Well, it happened because there are security cameras all over the campus, and I didn't cover my license plate. So they had my license plate, because in order to park on campus, you have to have your license plate listed so that they know that you're allowed to be there. And I had a hefty fine that I had to pay. And wouldn't you know it, all my friends were gone. All those friends who, who were, you know, waiting for Flick. Come on, Flick, put your tongue on the, on the flagpole. You can do it. And then as soon as he does and gets stuck and the bell rings and they all leave him. Isn't that the way that life really is? I mean, why do we do this to ourselves? I mean, this is, this is the thing that we do. We, why do we need to feel the, the, the need to have to measure up or to, to seek the approval and the expectations of other people? I mean, what is it that pushes us to such great lengths? I mean, that was a humorous story. And the clip that we have in the movie is a humorous clip of, of something that's pretty harmless. But even though the consequences could be embarrassing or even painful, why do we do this? Well, the answer is pride. The answer is pride. It is the triple dog dare. When someone tells us that we should do something or when we feel like we need to measure up because of somebody who has something, the pride inside of us, this innate need to measure up to others and to compare kicks in. And it's a lot like in Back to the Future. Marty McFly was known for saying, no one calls me chicken. Nobody calls me chicken. He, would, he was right about to move into the next step of his plan or get things right. And then someone says, what are you, chicken? And Marty stops in his tracks and immediately that thing wells up inside of him and he has to turn around and get into a situation that he doesn't belong in, that he really isn't going to win. And this is what we do. I think we still do this today, even as adults. I mean, you hear the, the phrase, keeping up with the Joneses. Now, you might not say to yourself that you do this. And I might not be willing to admit that I do this. But the whole concept of it is, is, that, is that there is something inside of each of us that our world, our society, frames this triple dog dare for each of us that, that we feel like we've got to compare ourselves to other people or measure up. And so our appearances, the way that we look, the way that we dress, the way that we fit into our neighborhood. So each neighborhood is different. In Lawrenceville, particularly, you know, there's, there's this vibe around here about, uh, about, like, you know, healthy living. And so all the restaurants start with this gluten-free thing and the organic thing and then the, the farmer's markets. And those are all good things. But this neighborhood is different than another. So when somebody moves into Lawrenceville, particularly, there is pressure to sort of feel like you fit into what is here and the things that are happening here. The same is true in the suburbs. And that's why you see everyone with the same house. They all feel like, well, I like that house. I want that house. That's why every car is the same or has nice systems set up in their houses. They have nice TVs and things, you know? This concept of measuring up. Our jobs are the same way. I actually talked to a guy once who uh, was a salesman, a great guy, and he, he, he said that he didn't want to have to buy a new car. He was driving around in a Honda Civic, I think. And he, I said, well, what's wrong with your car? Your car is nice. I like your car. I like a Civic. I had one at one time. And he said, because I'm a salesman. 
And when I drive up to a sales call, they expect me to be in an Acura or in a BMW or in a Mercedes. He said, that speaks of the success that a salesman has. And if you pull up in something other than a nice, high-end, expensive car, that the concept is, is that you don't measure up, that you're not a very good salesman. I mean, that's the concept that we're talking about. And whether or not you or I will, will blatantly admit that we fall into this trap, I believe that we do all the time. That we're always trying to, to feel like we're at least on par or on level with other people. This pressure is to live up to others' expectations, and it's for fear of failing or not fitting in. The problem is, is that it often backfires. I mean, just like with Flick, it backfired on him, and it often leaves us feeling like we put ourselves into vulnerable positions. The pressure of maintaining appearances can ultimately lead to consequences that were not intended. It could lead to debt that we can't handle. It could lead to embarrassment. It could lead to maybe even pain, frustration, or hurt. And it's much like Flick with his tongue on the flagpole. I mean, this is what it ends up like. I mean, no, he didn't think this was going to be a problem. He might have heard the rumors, you know, He might have heard that if you put your tongue on a metal flagpole that it could potentially stick. But for him, the consequence, the fear of the consequence was less significant than the pressure put on him by his friends or by the people he knew of whether or not he was man enough or whether he was able to stand up and feel like he fit in to the things that were going on. So what is the answer to this problem that we have? How can we get our tongues unstuck from the proverbial flagpole? How can we keep ourselves from ever licking it again in the first place? Well, the answer is that we need a change of heart. We need a change of heart. Our problem is is that we are seeking approval from the wrong place. You see, we spend, we've come to think that what matters most is all the things on the outside, but in reality, we were created to put our most important effort into what's inside our heart. And what's in the heart? And I want to I tell you a story today. I want to walk you through a story that really examines this. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to pull out and open it up to 1 Samuel 16. If you have a tablet, uh, an iPad, an iPhone, any kind of a smartphone, pull out the Bible app and pull up 1 Samuel 16. We're going to hover on verse 7 today, but we're going to start just by telling you a story. So what happened to us is that there was a king whose name was Saul. Saul was very handsome. Saul was tall. Saul was, was built well. You know, he was everything that you would think would be a king. But the problem was that after he became king, he became so consumed with the appearances of what other people felt about him, he was always pleasing, trying to please other people instead of pleasing God, that ultimately God said, I need a new king because this guy has lost the purpose of why I put him in there in the first place. So God talks to the prophet Samuel, and tells him to go to Bethlehem and find a guy named Jesse. Jesse, okay? So he goes to this house, he finds Jesse, and he says, hey, God told me to come here because one of your sons is going to become the next king. So line them up. So Jesse lines up his sons, and Samuel goes up to the first one, and as soon as he sees Eliab. Eliab was the oldest son. The Bible says that Eliab was was handsome. He was good looking. He was tall. He was built well. So now we're automatically thinking of Eliab in in the vision of what Saul was like, that he was built for the concept of being the king. And this is what verse seven says. But God speaks to Samuel in that verse when he sees Eliab and he says this, but the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or his height. 
for I have rejected him. He's talking about Eliab. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So what we see here is that Samuel looks at Eliab and in his mind, his eyes, his human nature goes, this guy looks great. He must be the next king. But God says, no, I'm looking at his heart. He's not the right one. So then we begin this pattern. He goes to number two, and then the God says the same thing. He goes to number three, does the same thing. He goes all the way down the line, and all seven sons are rejected. And Samuel goes up to Jesse and says, um, are all your kids here? Because God told me that one of your sons was going to be the next king. And Jesse goes, oh, well, I mean, my youngest son, David, I mean, he's out in the fields. He's a shepherd. I didn't think you'd want him to come. He said, no, go get David. So they go and get David and they bring him in. And the Bible says that as soon as Samuel saw David, God said, that's the one. Anoint him. He is the next king. I mean, this is an incredible story. Because you see, the former king Saul was chosen by God, but he ultimately fell to pride. This is the triple dog there. He fell to it. He knew in the beginning what his mission was. He was to lead God's people of Israel. But then he didn't measure up. He felt like he was always trying to measure up to what the people felt. And if anyone in the, in the community, in, in the Israelite uh, population, felt like Saul wasn't a good king, he would try to do something, change his behaviors or his actions, so that he would be able to be liked in their eyes. And eventually, he became so consumed with appearances and power and let his heart for God rot inside of him. And it ultimately resulted in the proverbial flagpole of his demise. And so that's our... So what we're saying here is that when God chose a new king to replace Saul, he was sending a very clear message. He made it clear that he cares more about the heart and the motives than the outward appearance. And so our big idea of the day is this. It's very simple. We are measured by the size of our heart, not by the size of our house. We are measured by the size of our heart, not by the size of our house. If you have a big house, that's great. God has blessed you with the ability to do that. But if you're using that house or that paycheck or that job or that car or whatever it might be as something that makes you feel better about yourself because of other people, your heart needs a check. Your heart needs a check. We are measured by the size of our hearts, not by the size of our house. I mean, none of this stuff really ultimately matters because we shouldn't be trying to live up to the expectations of others, and instead we can find peace. Instead we can find true purpose in life when we have a heart for God. So what can we learn? What can we learn from David? And what can we learn from Flick at the flagpole? So I put together a couple lessons, a, couple, a few lessons of what we can learn. Lessons from David and Flick. The first thing that we can learn from David and Flick is that you don't have to be the biggest and the best to impress. You don't have to be the biggest and best to impress. David was the smallest of the sons. David was the youngest of the sons. David was a shepherd. A shepherd at the time was just sort of like your average Joe, middle-class, blue-collar worker. That's all that they did. He spent all his time with stinky animals. He sat on the side of a hill with a staff and with a rod, and his job was to sit there all day and just make sure that the animals are safe. 
I mean, it's not overly difficult. There required some training, and there was a bit of danger involved, and there were predators that come in. But that's, I mean, it's all in the day of life of a shepherd. David was nothing special. I mean, it did say that he was, hey, he was handsome, but he wasn't the biggest. He wasn't the oldest. He didn't have the birthright. Any of those things that we would think of, David was certainly not the biggest, and he certainly wasn't the best. But he impressed God. How? With his heart. David is known as being a man after God's own heart. I mean, that's what it says. Anytime it mentions David in the Bible, typically it mentions him as having a heart for God. What that means is that it's not that David ever didn't ever make mistakes. It's not that David was perfect. It was just that, that whenever David did make a mistake, he realized that his heart was in the wrong place. I mean, how many of you have ever heard, I want to see your hands, have ever heard of the story of David and Bathsheba? Any of you ever heard of Bathsheba? Okay, just a few of you. Bathsheba was a beautiful woman who was married to one of David's um, high-ranking military officers. And while his uh, officer was out fighting the battle, David should have been there, but he wasn't. He was at home instead. So that's a mini lesson right there. If you're not in the place that you're supposed to be, you're going to be tempted to do things that you shouldn't be doing. So anyway, David is sitting, and he takes a walk on the top of his palace, and he goes out onto the front. And while he's standing up there, he looks down on a, on a house, and he sees Bathsheba taking a bath in the open, in the public. I mean, it was like, you know, privately for her house, but the king is up on a hill, so he can see anything. And, then, and the Bible tells us that David began to lust after Bathsheba, another man's wife. And he ends up going so far as to kill Uriah, which is Bathsheba's husband. And David ends up marrying Bathsheba. And it sets off a chain of consequences in his life. Maybe that, maybe that resonates with, with one of you today. That, that possibly a decision that you made, that you look back and you said, this was a bad decision. I made a bad decision. Maybe I knew it at the time and I did it anyway. And then it has set off a chain of maybe consequences in your life. They're difficult. Things that you might still be dealing with. David dealt with it until his deathbed. But God was faithful. And even despite being a murderer and an adulterer, God still loved him. And David is still has a legacy today of being known as a man after God's own heart. You don't have to be the biggest. You don't have to be the best to impress God. It's the status of your heart that matters the most. Your heart. So a lesson from David and Flick is that you don't have to be the biggest and best to impress. Another lesson is that often giving in to the dare of life, the triple dog dare, leaves you feeling alone and frustrated. It will never be enough. It is never going to be enough. When you're chasing after those things, when you're chasing after the house and the cars, and the, if you're doing it to measure up, you will never reach the point of where you feel like you do. Because there's always, another, there's always a bigger fish. There's always somebody who has a house that's nicer than you. There's always somebody who has a TV that's bigger than you. There's somebody, always someone who has a job that's nicer than yours. There's always somebody who has a higher paycheck than yours. There's always another family that seems to have it together more than yours. There's always somebody in school who seems like they get better grades than you. There's always going to be somebody who is going to be better at you or appear to have it better than you do. And so it's never going to be enough. So when you give in to the dare of trying to measure up to other people, when you give in to this, this concept of I, li, living up to the expectations of other people, you will always be left feeling dissatisfied. You will always feel inadequate. And if maybe, maybe if you are feeling today, like you're in a place right now where you're like, that's me. I feel like I'm inadequate. Like whatever task is given to you, you feel like somehow you might mess it up. A lot of that comes from 
your expectations of how other people project onto you and how you receive it. God doesn't look at you as though you're ineffective or that you're inadequate. God loves you. God is not going to send his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross for someone that is not worth anything. You see, he made us, each of us, in God's image. What that means is that each one of us is beautifully crafted. That each one of us is a treasure, is a precious thought to God. And if you feel inadequate, or if you feel like you're ineffective, that's something that others are putting on you, not God. But what happens is that when we give in to this concept of, the, of having to live up to others and, and giving in to the dare, oftentimes we feel alone, just like Flick did. People will put you up to it. Our society will, will say, you should have this item. You should, you should strive after this. You should push into that career for everything, despite what it does to your family. Whatever it is that society is telling us to how to measure up, in the end, all of those people will not be found when things crash down on you. They will always be gone. Just like with flicking the flagpole. What the bell rang? I have to go. I mean, you, as soon as there is any possibility of problems for another individual, those people who are egging you on, they're going to be gone. It happened to me. It happened to me with my fine. I had to go out of my way and ask one of the guys to help me pay the fine. I mean, he did gratefully because he was a, a nice individual. In fact, it was Aaron. <laughs> but uh, yeah. This is, these are the guys that are pastoring and going to the mission field. <laughs> but um, God is faithful. That's all I can say. God is faithful to forgive and God is faithful to, to use. I mean, the mistakes, the things that I made. I was actually not going to be able to graduate unless I came up with that money. I mean, it was a pretty decent sum of money for a college student. It was several hundred dollars that I just didn't have. I mean, I could have I wasted my graduation, the four years that I had put in. It was an embarrassing situation. I had to go in and ask for apology from, the, from the, uh, the security office. I mean, there's a lot of things that when you give in to the dare, ultimately can lead you feeling, leave you feeling as though you're vulnerable, that you're alone. And ultimately, striving to measure up will leave us feeling inadequate. And one thing to remember is, I mean, and you can see this everywhere, is that people love a train wreck. Okay, people love to watch train wrecks. That's why we watch dramatic television. That's why we watch reality TV. We love seeing things go bad, but never wanting to be a part of it. So if you feel like, in a practical sense, someone is ever pushing you to do something, and you feel like, even in your, if it's literally someone's pushing you, hey, come on, let's do this. Maybe it's a deal. Maybe somebody comes to you and says, hey, I got some inside information on this, uh, on this stock deal. You know, maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe someone says, hey, I have information on this or something, or you could cut corners to do this to make a little bit of extra money in your job, maybe a commission or something. As soon as that spirit of God in your heart touches you and goes, bing, hey, hang on, I would shut that thing down because what's going to happen is, is you'll go through with it and then that person will sit back and watch a train wreck of your life take place as soon as it's done. So the second lesson that we can learn from David and Flick is that often giving into the dare leaves you feeling alone and frustrated. And the third thing is, is that God's blessing far outweighs the approval of others. God's blessing far outweighs the approval of others. Now, you have to believe this. You have to believe this if you have any hope of getting past your, your, your need and desire to measure up. Because 
Just because you follow God and because you have a heart after God doesn't mean you're going to end up with the nice car and the nice house. Now, you might because God might bless you in a financial way to where you could do those things for comfort's sake, and that's okay. But what I'm saying is is that you have to believe that God's blessing of purpose, God's blessing of protection, God's blessing of guidance, God's blessing of, of true peace in your life far outweighs what other people think of you, your boss, your family, your friends. Ultimately, there are people who have been known for walking and saying, I have to follow my faith. And their family said, I can't believe that you believe this and you're no longer welcome in our family. That happens. It happens when people leave the Catholic Church at times. It's unfortunate. I have heard stories of people who have said, I'm going to this Protestant church and that Catholic family kicked them out of the family for it. I mean, but there's a place where you have to say, I believe that God's blessings far outweigh the approval of others. And so, in fact, when we go further down in that passage in, verse, in chapter 16, verse 13 says this, When David was chosen, it says, The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. David was given his ultimate purpose in life that day. God's Spirit rested on David. It's, this is called like the mantle. The mantle of God was rested, of the Spirit of God rested on David. And from that point on, David's life had crystal clear purpose. It had crystal clear guidance. God guided him in his decisions. God protected him in many circumstances, especially when Saul, the individual who was his predecessor, came after David and tried to kill him. God protected David. And in our lives, when we when we choose to have a heart for God and seek his approval and seek the approval of God instead of trying to measure up in ways that we can never measure up to other people, ultimately God's spirit is inside of us and he gives us guidance in our decisions, the decisions that are hard for each of us to make, things that are unclear. He will guide us. He will give us prosperity in our efforts. Now, I'm not talking about our prosperity gospel. That means that as soon as you follow Jesus, that everything gets better and then everything all of a sudden turns to, to wealth and riches. We're not talking about a Midas touch kind of faith, but what I am talking about is God's favor. When you walk in the will of God, when you follow what God wants from your life, when you live a life of peace, when you live a life of, of, of purpose in God's will for your life, his favor comes with it. And that means that in circumstances that seem hopeless, he can twist them around and turn them for your benefit. That means that in times of struggle, that God's favor will take that scenario and will, tr- will transform it for your benefit. That means that there will be times where God will bless you financially unexpectedly. That means that times that when you are, that there will be times when you're putting your hand to your job, that supernaturally you will have an ability to do better at your job today than you did yesterday without the blessing of God in your life life. I don't know how it works, but somehow when you walk in the purpose that God has for you, when you have a heart for God, he promises to prosper us, to give us the life abundant. And there's ultimately peace and satisfaction. So what we have learned from David and from Flick is that you don't have to be the biggest and the best to impress God. That often giving into the dare leaves you feeling alone and frustrated, and that God's blessing far outweighs the approval of others. And so the challenge for the day, to sort of wrap it all in up and and to say, this is for you now. The challenge for the day is turn down the dare and focus on your heart. 
Whatever it is in your life, whatever it is in your heart, whatever it is that you're seeking after, that thing that you're striving after, I believe that God is pinpointing today in your heart right now, and he's saying, this thing is not from me. It's not a bad thing necessarily. It might be. I don't know. I mean, some of you might be pursuing something that is unhealthy or something that's not of God. But some of you might just be, just might just be pushing your careers or pushing to get the things that are going to take you to the next level because deep inside, if you're honest, you would say, you know what? I'm doing this not because I need it, but because this thing somehow gives me satisfaction, even if it's temporarily, because this guy or that person makes me feel like I should. Maybe there's somebody in the room who's feeling that way today. Turn down the dare and focus on your heart. So this Christmas, this Christmas, don't compare yourselves to others. You're not going to get anywhere comparing yourself to others. There will always be a bigger fish. And also, some people just wear really good costumes. You know, some people who appear to have everything going really, really well, their life is a mess. Or their families in shambles, their kids hate them. Maybe they're up to debt in their eyeballs and they're about to go through bankruptcy. I mean, there's so many different things. And this is not just about money. It's just about how you ultimately view yourself in the light of other people. Don't compare yourselves to others. But do examine your heart and your motives. We have some individuals in this, in this congregation who are very well off. And I see them and I see their heart. And I know that they, that they are with the right place and the right heart. Some of you might say, you know, I don't, have, I don't have two cents to give to my name. It doesn't matter. It's your heart. Examine your heart. Why do you do what you do? Why do you go where you go? How do you, why do you treat the people that are around you the way that you do at work, at home? Examine your heart and your motives. And then step into the blessing of God's faithfulness. He will take care of you. He promises to. You don't have to get your tongue stuck on the flagpole. You don't have to end up alone in the cold. So this month, throughout this season, in this series, let's examine our hearts to be ready to meet God. Every Sunday, we come here with an expectation that we're going to meet the living God and hear what he might say to each one of us about our lives. Let's put away our pride. Let's put away all of that and see our true need for a Savior. Let's all together discover the best gift of all. Thanks for listening to this message from Encounter Church. If you call Encounter Home or if you would like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving options. Just go to EncounterPGH.com and click on the Support Encounter tab on the left side. This is a quick and simple way to stay up to date with your regular giving. We hope you join us next week.